Hi, I'm Ed Hands, and uh, I'm here with another Eastern Historical Society uh, interview program. This time we're going to be talking to Korean War era veterans. Uh, we have uh, three veterans of Korea and uh, one veteran who served in the European theater during the Korean uh, War era. Um, and uh, we're sort of continuing on with our uh, series uh, that started with uh, World War II veterans. And I'd like to start with uh, Ernie Kamara over here. Ernie, uh, you grew up during World War II. How did, uh, how did that uh, change your perspective when it came time for you to, to serve? Did, it, did World War II make you particularly patriotic or um, knowing the risk of the war did make you a little more suspicious? I don't think so. I think I was too young. Because I was like 11 years old when World War II started, and I was aware of it. <clears throat> but I didn't get into this patriotic thing until I went to the Marine Corps. Okay. And when did you go into the Marine Corps? Were you, did you enlist or did you get drafted? No, I got drafted February 29th, 1952. <laughs> okay. Now, John. Um, uh, we know that Ernie was in the, the Marine Corps. Um, what branch of the service did you serve in? I was in the Army in Korea. And uh, when did, uh, did you get involved? Uh, <clears throat> I enlisted in the Army uh, December 29, 1951. Wow. I uh, was uh, sent to Fort Evans on the 2nd of January. I'm, I'm sorry, it, uh, it was 1950. And uh, then 1951, I was sent to Fort Evans where I took training. And uh, after uh, eight weeks there, we went to Pine Camp, New York, which is now Camp Drum. And then in the fall of 51, I was transferred back to Fort Devens. And then in early uh, February of 52, I got orders to report to Fort Lawton, Seattle. From there, I took a 13-day trip leisurely <coughs> to Tokyo, Japan, and then up north a little bit to Camp Drake, where we trained for another week or so. And then I took another troop ship to uh, Korea. Uh, stopping in Pusan along the way and landing in Incheon. Mm -hmm. And then I was assigned to the uh, 74th Trucking Company in a small village uh, called Chuchon, Okay. up near the, uh, right on, almost on the 38th parallel. All right. Well, we'll get into some of those details because I'm sure that the, uh, the landing in Incheon was a little bit more uh, difficult than when you first pulled into Pusan and inside the Pusan perimeter. Um, how did uh, World War II um, make you feel uh, as you were growing up? Are you particularly patriotic? Is that why you enlisted? Or? Uh, yes. Uh, see, I grew up in Britain, Nova Scotia. My parents had been living in Boston, but during the Great Depression, they moved back in 1932 to a small farm that we had. So I grew up there. And as you know, we were in the war uh, long, much before the United States. We uh, won the war actually on September 10th, 1939. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, in 1946, uh, I took a trip to Boston to visit an aunt. And uh, she uh, introduced me to a gentleman who had a business. And he asked me to come to work for him because I was an American citizen, which I did. Mm -hmm. And then that's uh, led up to uh, okay. me going into the service. All right, very good. Larry, uh, what, uh, what service were you in during the oh, war? I was in the Army. I was drafted. And then uh, April 24th, uh, 1952, got out on April 5th, 54. Uh, but going back to what the first question you asked, Journey, my probably came from probably a military family. My father was in World War I, and he was a, an officer, as a lieutenant in the uh, World War I. And my grandfather, on my mother's side, was in the Marine for 42 years. <laughs> he got off the boat from Ireland and, and joined the Marines. And uh, he was a chief quartermaster, and I had an uncle that was also in the Marines. But my father, <clears throat> when I was born in Boston, in Charlestown, and uh, <clears throat> he always had us, Vinnie, Kenny, and myself, we always, he had a, a dummy rifle, and he'd show us the maneuvers with the, and he was always telling us about things in France in World War I. So we were kind of acclimated to the you know, conditions that might exist if we went into the service. So when I was drafted, I went into, into Boston, and there were 60, 60 of us. And uh, from Taunton, Easton, and a bunch of guys from Medford and Somerville. Uh, I went in with Kenny McAfee, and the Marine sergeant went over to McAfee, and he said, you know, we got to get uh, 12 out of the 60, 20%. And he said, join the Marines. He said, I'll guarantee you won't go to Korea. Of course, Kenny was a speedball and played football at Alabama, and he came over to me and says, Angie, he said, go come up and join the Marines. He said, this guy says we'll stay in, stay in, uh, in, in the States. We won't go to Korea. <laughs> I said, Kenny, you do the you do the hundred in about ten seconds. It takes me about fifteen. I said, you would make the team. I couldn't make it. But anyway, he went in the Marines, and of course, he you know the story from there as far as Kenny was concerned. He went to the, in, uh, football and went into the uh, Giants and all that. But anyway, I went to Korea, and I you don't know how many times I kicked myself for not listening to Kenny, and uh, especially when that first day when I was assigned to my company as in the second division, the ninth regiment. <laughs> and it wasn't fun. Uh, but uh, that's because we had a lot of different places we went to in Korea. And, sure. and my, my recollection of Seoul, it was a slum, a dump. Well, we'll, we'll get there in a few minutes because uh, from what I've heard from every Korean war veteran I've ever spoken to, that it was it was quite a change from what life was like in America. <laughs> but let me introduce Lou over here. Lou, you served in the European theater during this time. Right. And uh, while there was a hot war going on on one side of the world, there was the Cold War going on in the other. So right. um, how did you get involved? Well, <clears throat> I enlisted in 1951. And the reason why I enlisted was I was between jobs, yes. and I was going to be drafted anyway. 
So I said, why don't I just go in? I don't think that World War II contributed, uh, had any impact on me going in the military. I think the biggest impact <coughs> was, excuse me, that you were going to be drafted anyway. So why not join or why not wait to be drafted? So really, the, I, don't, I can't see as World War II had any influence at all. When we trained, I went with the 28th Infantry Division, which was the Pennsylvania National Guard. And they were, they were building up the division, division strength, 18,000 troops. And I was assigned to that division. Uh, we were preparing to go to Korea. We, were, uh, we had our basic training and advanced basic training. And uh, the division was going to Korea as a unit. Well, surprisingly enough, we got our orders to report to Virginia to be shipped out, never knowing where we were going to go. They wouldn't say. So we got on the ships, and we never had a sunny day or, or a day that we could get our coordinates. We had no idea which direction we were going. <laughs> it wasn't until I saw the White Cliffs of Dover I knew we were heading towards Germany and not Korea. And it was cold and stormy Lucky. and rough. But uh, when we got to Bremerhaven, we were assigned to a tent city, Y-79. Everything was secret. We weren't even supposed to know where we were. And then we were assigned to various parts of Germany, in southern German Bavaria, and I was assigned to a little town of Gabelgen outside of Augsburg. But the, the thing about it was, when we got to Bremerhaven and then assigned to Y-79, some of the Germans said, oh, we've been waiting for the 28th Infantry Division to land here. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, I didn't even know we were going here myself. <laughs> but they were well aware we were going there. And the reason why they assigned the 28th Infantry and the 43rd Infantry Divisions to Germany was that Russia began to rattle their sewers. They began to, they, they sent two divisions on the Czech border, and we figured that's where they were going to attack from. So we moved our, our division, the 28th Infantry, online, uh, facing, the, um, facing the Russians on the Czech border. And that's basically the way they, the Cold War was kind of a war of words, but mm -hmm. we never knew at any one time whether we were going to be attacked or we were going to attack them. Okay. Let's get back over here to, to Ernie. <clears throat> um, listening to Don, it sounded like uh, before he hit career, he had uh, extensive training uh, at, at several, several places. What was your training like uh, uh, as you uh, got into the Marines? Well, uh, as I say, we left Boston February 29th by train. <clears throat> and we landed in uh, South Carolina, at Paris Island, on uh, Monday, and it was dark. <clears throat> we had, then we had training in, in, in Paris Island. I was not in the infantry. I ended up in communications, so I never got out in the field too much and played around. After eight weeks, 
I was assigned to uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and I stayed there about eight months, and then they told me, I came home on leave for Christmas. When I came back, they said, you're going to Korea. So I went home again for 25 days or something. Then I went to California, and they used to get replacements for somebody who was there. They were coming back, so I was a replacement for somebody going over. I got there in February thinking that I was going to go in March. They used to call it the March draft. And uh, I never went. We, there was about a dozen of us. That we had the base to ourselves. No one looked, no one looked at it. Nobody checked on it. Then when March came, then the new, new uh, group came in. And we have some training there. I can remember climbing the hills of, of uh, California. Old Smokey was the one of them. Anyhow, after April 20, on April 27th, we boarded a ship in uh, San Diego and took off for uh, Korea. It took 20 days. Could we get there? We had a stop in Japan, which they used to give uh, liberty for the evening. But they wouldn't give it to us because the next day was May 1st. And at those days, May, May 1st was a big communist day. So we didn't get off the ship. So then we took off the next day for Korea. We ended up there May 3rd. And it must have had an impact on the, uh, the Korean War because they ended about three months after I got there. So. I always felt I must have had something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Don, you, you got there a little bit earlier and, and were there for... Um, 18 months. 18 months. Okay, that's a, that's a long time. Um, when you first arrived in Pusan, what was your first impressions of Korea? <clears throat> well, in, in Pusan, we, we didn't get off the ship. We, uh, we had a bunch of Canadian soldiers aboard, you know, and we went into Pusan during the night, and they they unloaded, you know. Then the next morning we continued on up to Incheon, and uh, we uh, went again into Incheon nighttime, and uh, th this wasn't the uh, the original landing, no. Oh, okay, but, you know, that's good. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, Incheon is quite the harbor. They have awfully high tides, and so we had to go over the side of the ship onto landing craft, and then go in. So uh, I was—I uh, thought I was going to be very lucky. I—I uh, I was one of the first ones on the landing craft that I, that was going in, and uh, but I soon found out I was the last one to get off, or one of the last ones. In the meantime, the uh, tide was changing and uh, when I stepped off I went up to my neck in water <laughs> and uh, all I could hear was the guy yelling keep your piece up high hold your piece up high don't let your piece get wet you know and but I was soaked and it was a cold early April morning sleet and snow and uh, we went into a little place there and they they gave us something. I, 
It looked like scrambled eggs, you know, and uh, whatever, you know. And I was in no mood to eat it, you know. <laughs> and there was a barbed wire enclosure. There was a whole bunch of little kids, you know, screaming, you know, G.I., G.I., you know. And uh, you could tell they were hungry, you know. So I worked my way over to the barbed wire, and I sort of tried to sneak my food, which I couldn't eat, to them, you know. But I got caught by a sergeant who laid me out in lavender. <laughs> and uh, so from then on, we uh, loaded onto boxcars, and we made the journey up to Chuchon, which I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. and uh, got off there after I don't know how many hours. The train would go up at an incline, and the wheels would spin that back down and try again. I, I think we took took seven attempts to make to get over the hill <laughs> because it was loaded with the supplies, you know, mm -hmm. which I found out later that that was the main supply route by rail, and all the supplies went up that way. So I I got to my company area, and uh, I was assigned to the, like I said, the 74th Trucking Company. So I went, went over as a heavy weapons person, and I ended up being a, a cheap driver and truck driver. Okay. Well, we'll get back to that in a few minutes. What was your first impression of, of career when you got there? Terrible. <laughs> we get to, uh, we left from uh, uh, Washington, state of Washington, and uh, we took 17 days to get over to, to Japan, and then from there we went into Korea. We landed in Putin, uh, in Chon. All I, I still remember the stink, the smell. <laughs> it was a t terrible smell, death. It's uh, all I could think of, and we we stayed stayed there in a in a uh, tents for two nights, two days, and you could hear the you could hear the the uh, the mortar rounds off in the distance, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they say, "Well, what's that?" They're, well, you'll find out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. Up we went to the to uh, to the battalion, and uh, <clears throat> and they, we had to. They assign you to a company. You're going to Baker Company in the Ninth Regiment, so we have to wait here. So I waited about four hours with all your gear, till the company runner came to escort you to your company. So it was myself and another kid by the name of Holmes. He was a, a black kid. And uh, <laughs> the kid's name was Hoffman, the, uh, the company runner. He said, just follow me. I said, okay. So we go, and he said, coming down the hill, and it was all camouflaged. And you could hear, boom! The round's coming in. I said, what is this? <laughs> he says, when you get down the bottom of that hill, he says, they're over there. We have to go to this hill over here, and they're over there. I said, who's they? He says, the chinks. I said, jeez, okay. So he said, uh, I'll go first. And he said, Holmes, you wait 20 seconds, and then you go. And then really, you wait. 20 seconds after he goes, and then you go. I said, okay. And he said, run as fast as you can, because they can see you, and they'll be, <laughs> Jesus. I said, wow, this is, this is fun. <clears throat> well, 
I started at the 40 seconds after he left, and I never saw Holmes. Never saw him. So I get to where Hoffman was, and he says, where's Holmes? I said, geez, I don't know. I said, I waited. You know, you left 20 seconds and 20 seconds, and he said, I don't know. So he said, well, geez, we better wait for him. We waited there for him. Here comes this kid flying across the, like this valley. Where'd you go? He says, the kid was scared. He said, I jumped into a, in, into, with some guys there. They were, they were uh, Canadians. And he said, I stayed there because I heard all of the noise, the rounds coming in. <laughs> so I said, Jesus, this is... So anyway, we get to the company area, and, and, and Hoffman says, wait out here. He says, well, went into the CO and the, and the executive officer. And uh, he said, Holmes, he sent him out to the fourth platoon. That's the lead platoon. <laughs> so he says, Hurley, the company commander, says, where are you from? Blah, 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 this and that and that. And he says, you're going to stay here. I said, sir. He says, you're going to be the company runner. He said, wow. I said, this is nice. And I stay right in the, in the bunker with the, the CEO and the exec officer and the, uh, and the runner. And he says, he's going home in a couple of weeks. So he says, yeah, you, you're, he's going to tell you what you have to do, Hoffman. <laughs> well, I thought it was great until, <laughs> until I found out what the company runner had to do. <laughs> Jesus, with any... It, you know, you were anything happening. You, it was rounds coming into your company area. It was on a hill. You were on the downside of the hill, but you had, if any communications w went out, you know, you had all you had was a wire from from the uh, communications uh, sergeant, a wire running through all through the trenches, and that's how you got communication. Well, if they blew out. You had to be the runner. You had to go out to the fourth platoon or the third platoon. <laughs> Jeez. So anyway, that's, that happened a number of times. And, and it, uh, then you had to go down to, I had to go to battalion to pick up all the, the, uh, the uh, information that they give out to the, to the companies and all that kind of stuff. And I said, Jesus, this is, you're in harm's way all the time. So, but you get used to it. <laughs> as strange as it seems, you do, you get used to it. Of course, you always had to have that rifle. Yeah. And I had an M1, it was nine and a half pounds. And I said, geez, this is tough if you have to run. So I got a, uh, I got a, a carbine, a small carbine. It was apparently an Air Force carbine. It didn't have the stock, so it weighed about three pounds. So I said, that was great. So I used to carry that with the clip. But anyway, uh, we, was, we stayed up there for, oh, I don't know, a month and a half, and we were being relieved by the English, the Commonwealth Division. So the CEO says to me, you've got to stay here with them. He says, why is that, sir? And he says, because uh, just to show them the different, <laughs> the different uh, where the different uh, platoons are and the different hills that we see out there, and they, they named them the, the Pear, the Ham, the Dab, and Marilyn Monroe and these different, well, you know why Marilyn Monroe, there were two hills. <laughs> so so, uh, so the, the Commonwealth came up there, and the, and 
they knew, the North Koreans knew, that the Commonwealth Division was relieving uh, the, uh, the, our outfit. And uh, it, it, how they get this information, it, it was beyond us. And you, they'd, leave, they'd leave a mailbox down on the bottom of the hill, and they knew who our uh, first sergeant's name was, Joe Kafora. They knew his name, and they'd leave stuff in a mailbox down the bottom of the hill. And you could hear them screeching and yelling, Sergeant Kafora, late at night. And you'd go out on patrol, and the cold. <laughs> this was in uh, the end of January, and boy, it was cold. And when you come in in the morning, the things that, like, <laughs> I talked to Randy about this. He had never, I'd never eat that stuff, he says. <laughs> SOS, chip beef on toast. And that's what you wanted when you came in, because it was nice and hot. And you wanted a hot meal when you came in, but you got used to it. And as strange as it seems, as strange as it sounds, you, you did get used to it, and you just took it as that was your job. And okay. Well, we'll hear a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Lou, you were serving in Germany. Right. Five years after the end of, of World War II. What were the conditions there like? It, uh, I, well... It was, uh, that's, that <clears throat> as American in itself, the Germans, of course, are very industrious people. They would work 24 hours a day, seven days a week in reconstructing their country. They'd have these great big lights and they'd be working night and day. When I got there, now I've got there in February of, of uh, September of 1951. Now this was only five years, six years after, the, after World War II. And Germany was practically obliterated. Mm -hmm. You really had to look, this is six years later, to find a bombed out building. The only building that they were still rebuilding when I was there was the Bonhof, the railroad station. And it, it was so big in Munich you had 44 rails coming in to one, uh, uh, to one uh, railroad station. And they were still building that, but that was the only one. That, uh, be, but if you went to France, they had buildings out in France that was, had been bombed out since World War I that were not rebuilt. I, I couldn't understand the difference between the two countries. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. But uh, we were occupation forces. The treaty was never signed until uh, 1953. Prior to 1953, we were, we were all armed, and uh, even when we went to town, uh, we carried our weapons. Uh, because being occupation troops, you never, you never know. And with the Russians threatening to attack, we had to be ready, even if we were in town, uh, to uh, <coughs> to uh, meet to uh, meet up with our troops uh, at a designated place and uh, be ready for combat. How did the Germans treat you? The Germans, uh, Germans, they are a very proud and industrious people. And I was there 22 months. 
<laughs> and I can say this, and I'm kind of a friendly guy, I never met a German that I could call a friend. It's just, they just, you know, they kept their distance. And they're very proud people. And, they did you not had a gun like book. losing the war. <laughs> right. You know, and Hitler had instilled that superiority <clears throat> complex. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't believe they lost the war, first of all. Second of all, there were not many men left. They killed them all. <laughs> Millions. Gone. And naturally, that the women had to do all the work. Women had to be stevedores, had to do all the men's work. Uh, but they rebuilt. But they're, they, uh, they're great people, but they're Germans are Germans, I found, that they stayed within themselves. And we had a number of uh, DP, displaced persons, centers, tent cities. But they're all mixed up. They're Greeks and everyone in there. I don't know where they all came from. But it was the, the, what happens in war, people get displaced, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. try to run, try to seek cover, cover in another area, another country, and come to find out that's worse off than what they, where they were. So uh, it's just uh, an, a, a totally amazing how the Germans uh, built their cities. Ohm, ULM was uh, practically wiped out. And I went there, <laughs> the only, the only uh, uh, destruction I saw was a bomb went through the cathedral, it was built in 700 something. Bomb went right through the roof of the cathedral and landed in the church, but never blow up. They could never understand why it didn't blow up. And uh, they, they, uh, they say that the, uh, the uh, Air Force didn't mean to uh, bomb, bomb that church because they usually try to bomb around them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but this would happen to go through, but it never did. And, it, and there was no reason why it didn't either because it was active. And they didn't, they deactivated it and took it out. But a big block <coughs> Wow. Amazing. Ernie, you were you were in communications during the war. What was what was that like? Uh, Larry pointed out that up up on the front uh, <coughs> there was one wire leading down from battalion to uh, uh, to to headquarters. What was your job? Well, we were back. Uh, we weren't up on the line, but we were close to them. And I worked in a message center, and they had a teletype, and the messages would come in teletype. And they would print them out and then give it to us, and we'd type them. I was a typist, although I never learned to type in school. They made, made me a clerk typist. We'd have to type them and distribute to where they were going. Mm -hmm. um, now, where was this? Uh, where was this center located? Uh, the hell do I know? <laughs> the only place I remember about Inch, uh, Korea was Incheon and Seoul. Okay. In between, I didn't know the name of those places. I never learned them. I, can, I remember Incheon, because what Larry said, well, the ship came up and they brought a floating dock out. And we got onto it and onto uh, landing barges. <clears throat> and they took us to shore. Uh, I can remember 
I almost didn't make it. It was so crowded in the damn thing. I thought it was going to be suffocating. And I spent, like Larry said, the smell was something else. And we Terrible. spent three days there. And then they took the train. I don't know where the hell it was going, but it went somewhere. And uh, it was the slowest moving train. You could run alongside it. <laughs> and uh, there again, I don't know where the hell they took us. And we moved two or three times uh, before I came home. Now, were you living in tents or? Oh, yes. OK, uh, what was uh, that like? Uh, tremendous. In fact, they used, I, I shoveled a lot of dirt in Korea because every time they moved us, they would move you to a, a hill. And the bulldozer would come and, and uh, level it out so you could put the, they could put the tents on. Oh, I would put the tents up because I remember doing it. But anyhow, you, you had to do a lot of shoveling to get the thing down. And then when you come out of the tent, it was downhill. And uh, it was a lot of fun, as I look back now. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I, as I say, I never remember the names of of the town. I can remember, like Larry was saying, that it was a jeep you're driving along the road and they say, the next 500 yards, you're under enemy observation. It's all terrific. Get out of here. <laughs> I went there a few times. Nothing ever happened. But I'll never forget what, like Larry said, when, when we were coming in the ship was at night. And you could see the bombs going off in the air. And, and the light, and I said, oh my God, I hope they don't turn it this way. But I guess it was a long ways away. So when I got to Korea right inside, you did hear the bombings and whatever, but it was never clear to me. Uh, I can remember one time they said they're looking for volunteers to go up the line. I said, well, don't look this way, buddy. <laughs> but I never went. So okay. it was, it was. <clears throat> When I look back, it looked it was good. The only thing, one other thing, how good was you remember uh, Cardinal Spellman? Sure. He used to visit Korea every Christmas time, and the year I was there, 1953, his helicopter landed right near me, and so I got I got pictures of him. But uh, it was cold. It was cold. I couldn't wait to get the hell out of that island. <laughs> I left there January 26th, freezing cold. And the best thing that happened to me was to get on that ship. And they wanted volunteers to work on the laundry. So I'm one. Anyway, where it's warm. <laughs> to this day, cold does not agree with me. I don't care how hot it gets in the summertime, I don't complain. Because being cold is one of yep. the worst things that happens to you. Mm -hmm. And that country was, was like here, except we didn't have the clothes and we were living in a tent. Mm -hmm. We were living in a tent with a pot belly and the heat was up on the top of the tent. We were down below. Now, what was life like for you, Don, when you were there? You were driving a truck between point A and point B, what, what was that like? Well, I uh, actually, I, I didn't drive many trucks. I, I, I was assigned as, like as a, a cheap driver, 
and uh, would go in convoy and uh, drive for the, uh, the officer in charge of the section. Generally, 25 trucks to a section, and you'd go in convoy. And like I said before, we uh, took all the ammo, uh, food, and up, up to the division rears, you know, to all the line companies, you know, and uh, also transported uh, troops from new troops coming in and taking other troops off the line while that, and, uh, to, you know, replace them, you know, from one front to the other, you know. Like, like I said, we're in the center of Korea, and, and there was like two fronts, you know. The, uh, the, the left front was actually almost in line with us, because at the time, we're, there was a line like that, you know, and we're here, you know. So we're, we're almost behind lines, you know, in one sense on the left, and, but we're uh, on, up north on, on the other side. Uh, I uh, I really didn't uh, you know I I never saw combat you know but even though I was uh, in an area that was supposed to be a combat zone that was another story the uh, when we when I arrived my company they said you'll be here nine months you get four points a month you know and uh, so I said gee I to myself I can do that standing up you know standing on my head you know well. The next month, a directive came down from 8th Army Headquarters because we weren't continually or under fire, you know, and operating behind lines. We could only get two points a month. So uh, that's why I spent 18 months, you know, there. <laughs> but uh, uh, getting back, uh, I had an awakening. I'll briefly tell you about it. Um, the second or third night that I, after I reached my company area, I was lying in, on my cot in the tent, you know. Everybody else was on convoy or, and, uh, <laughs> or, or guard duty or something, you know. And I, a guy came in and he says, so, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. He said, get your weapon and ammo and follow me, you know. And uh, I didn't know what was up, you know. So, uh, what happened was the uh, our telephone lines, like Larry was saying, was just a, a line on the in our case it was a line on the ground, and it went to a pole somewhere down off the MSR, the main supply route. So he said, that "You and this guy, uh, we we have to uh, find where our break is because there's a break in the communications. We've got no phone service." So he gave me a little pin light, light, and he said. Start here, and he showed me the, the line on the ground, and follow that line. We're going to the pole, and uh, one of us will uh, come back and start to meet you. And when we obvious when we meet where it's cut, we'll repair it, you know. So I'm going along in the dark, you know, with a little pin light, you know, flashlight, you know, and uh, and carrying, you know, following the the line. And I'm doing going. I'm going alongside rice paddies and through, I don't know, hills and everything else. You know, pitch dark. You know, and uh, with my carbine strapped on my shoulder, of course. You know, and uh, all of a sudden, a big light shone in my face, and I, I looked down, and a bayonet to my stomach. Well, 
<laughs> right away I said, boy, this guy means business, <laughs> whoever the hell he is. <laughs> so uh, as it was, I, I had crossed close to a, a South Korean engineering company here, and uh, their guard came, he, he could see the light, you know, I guess, and uh, so he yelled something at me and I couldn't understand him, so all I could think of saying, G.I., you know, and he yelled something else, you know, and so another guy came and uh, he looked at me and, and he said, Iriwa, or something like that, come with me, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he marched me off to a, to a tent, you know, or something, you know, so there was an officer, the South Korean officer, thank God, <laughs> he could uh, speak English, you know, and uh, he checked, you know, and, and I again told him, you know, and so he, he said, okay, so he instructed the, uh, the other guy, the corporal or whatever, take me back to where they had captured me. <laughs> and, uh, but they wouldn't allow me to go any further. So I tried to explain, you know, that, uh, you know, and I held my hand up to my ear, you know, the phone line is out, you know. Didn't make any difference to them. <laughs> he said, uh, Chogi, Chogi, something like that, you know. Chogi. <laughs> it means go, 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 and go back. Well, I found my way back by doing the same thing, following the wire, you know, because <laughs> I didn't know where, the, where I was at, you know. So uh, I got back to my company area, and, and the, the guy, and, and the other two guys, they were there, and they said, Mac, where the hell were you? <laughs> so I explained, and so they, they had found the, the wire. The wire was cut real close to the post, that they're, you know. So they, in no time, were back, you know. <laughs> but I was MIA or something, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, that was a, an awakening call, you know. <laughs> You may be the only Eastern soldier ever captured by people on your own side. Yeah, <laughs> within three days. <laughs> what was uh, what were the Korean people like? Did, did, did you have any interaction with them? Yeah, there? they were the Korean people were, were nice. Uh, we had uh, assigned to uh, to our uh, the Ninth Regiment. We had Korean troops, and we also had uh, the Thailand Thailanders. Uh, but the the uh, when you when you were offline, you had uh, what they called chogis. They were they were the Korean men and, and, uh, and that they uh, they were like houseboys. That uh, if you want you'd pay them, you'd do your laundry and stuff like that. But they were very friendly. I found them to be found them to be nice nice people. But up you to go back. I was basic training in Fort Dix. And I didn't go to Korea as soon as BASIC was over in Labor Day, uh, 52. Our company, BASIC Training Company, went as a, as a company, went to Korea. And uh, I was a holdover, I was an OCS holdover. I was supposed to go to OCS. And then in November, they, they froze all, all uh, 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 advancements. So there were no more, they didn't need any more OCS people to, you know, to go to the different, to uh, infantry or, or uh, mechanized or whatever. So they, I shipped 
they gave me my orders on December, and I went to Korea in in, uh, in January. So, but we got the the company area. We had trenches, and you lived in bunkers, and <laughs> it was they were warm. You were in the side of a side of a mountain, dug out, and you, and uh, it was actually warm in there, but. It was cold as anything outside. So, but when you went in the trenches, I guess I guess when it started over there, I guess the uh, the troops didn't have a heck of a lot of ammunition and stuff. So, but when I was over there, all through the trenches, you'd have these little platforms dug in the side of the trench, and they had bandoliers of ammo all over the place. And of course, you through you to get to your different platoons and everything, you had to go through the trench and, and of course, what they do with the dirt, they threw it up on the side of the hill. But you'd go through the trench and we'd, like, I used to have to go out to the different platoons every day and you'd see, ping, and you'd look up about this high over your head, you'd see rounds were hitting the, the dirt. And you say, what's that? It's the first time that the guy showed me where the different platoons were. I said, what's that? He says, Keep your head down and keep your pot on, your helmet, because those are the, the rounds coming in at you. So, Jesus, wow, this is fun. And, uh, <coughs> but the only town I know, and I remember the name was Sat John Knee. And when we got offline, we were, we were back in reserve, and they said, when, this, this was in the end of May, sometime in the end of May. And they said, because uh, there was no showers up in those bunkers or anything. You, you know, your sponge bath is all you did. So they said, you want to go down and either go, go, have, go to the shower point and uh, get clean fatigues and, and you can go for a swim or shower, whatever you want to do. So I, so I a truckload of us went down there and we went swimming and got new fatigues. And, that's how I remember Satchon Knee. That was the only, the only <laughs> town I did, that I remember. It was on a river. Mm -hmm. Now, but, I, had, I had a friend who served in Korea who said that those bunkers were not only crowded and no, no uh, washing facilities, but they were loaded with rats as well because the rats like to be in the warmth. Well, <laughs> yeah, and you, you slept on a, on a uh, you always had a, uh, <coughs> An air mattress, you blew up, and that's what you put on the on the dirt on the dirt floor in there, and you slept on it. But you know, with, with your sleeping and your in your sleeping bag, you always had that down sleeping bag. So you zip that thing up, and the only thing sticking out was your nose, because <laughs> you know. But but they, you know, they, I heard that. I never saw any rats in the in the, in the bunkers that we were in, and. Uh, and the other thing that I, that I remember when I, was, when I was waiting, my company, basic training company, went over as a, as a whole group. And we stayed, there were, there were about four of us, five of us that stayed back for OCS holdovers. And we used to look at the paper every day to see the casualties. Mm -hmm. And boy, what a shock it was when we saw some of the guys that we lived with that, that gone, you know. I remember their names, Gary Holland, Willie Gillette, Willie Gillette from Taunton, Earl Dibble, 
Paul Leffingwell. Uh, <laughs> Over 50,000. Still remember them. Yeah. I'll never forget, I'll never forget yeah. their names. And to this day, it, 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 uh, it <clears throat> very sad. Yeah. One of the highlights of, of the war for many people who served there was the, the USO and, and the people who came over. And I, I know that in Korea, the, the, the big <laughs> event was Marilyn Monroe came to Korea. Not Cardinal Spellman, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, did, did you guys get to see any, any celebrities during your service? What, what was the USO like? Did, did you ever have any recreational opportunities? We had one. <coughs> one let's, let's, let's go, go ahead, Lou. Let, let Lou take care of the European well, theater. We really, uh, we really didn't. Uh, Elvis Presley, we were waiting for him one time. He was in the army in, in uh, Germany, and, uh, but he never did, uh, he never was assigned to our area. Uh, you know, one thing getting back to Germans not being friendly, I don't know if we would be very friendly if Germany had invaded and, and, uh, and uh, conquered the United States. I'm sure that we would not be very happy to see German troops mm -hmm. or Japanese troops on the uh, Pacific coast occupying us. So you can see really where they were coming from. Huh? I would probably feel the same way. So I have nothing against the Germans is that uh, their behavior I consider was appropriate given the, given the situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. We had, <laughs> it was it used to be funny, when we were back offline we did uh, send a notice around to all the tents that <coughs> the uh, the uh, USO, not USO, the uh, yeah USO, the girls, of, young ladies were coming up and going to serve us donuts, and coffee. Well, <laughs> the cook, the cook had to make the coffee. Our, our cook, we always had a cook tent, and we always had the, the cook and you know two. Two uh, cooks with him. They had to they had to make the coffee and the donuts. And these girls came up, and they just stood there, you know, in their uniforms. And another next month, the same thing. All we got was the coffee and donuts. There were no women that came up. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, it was a lot of baloney. They didn't want to be over there any more than we did. But, you know, it was uh, <laughs> coffee and donuts. But you needed that like you needed a hole in the head. <laughs> Don, did you have any experiences with uh, USO or anything like that during the Not really. We, uh, we really n never had anyone come. And, uh, and if they did come, uh, uh, they were someplace very close, but yet we couldn't get to go to see them, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, we... we there was a, one occasion, and I, I can't think of their, their names right now, there was a, a comedy team, two guys, you know, uh, uh, they did uh, stop by for a short period of time, one day or something, you know, and uh, I just remember they were choking, telling jokes or something, you know, and one guy asked the other guy, well, what do you think of Korea, you know, uh, with all the bombs and the noise going off and uh, everything else, and and he looked sort of dumbfounded. He said, Korea? 
I thought we were in Chicago. <laughs> but uh, the, outside of that, that was well the only one I've seen. Okay. Ernie, we're, we're getting close to the end of our hour, so if you'd like to comment a little bit about USO, but also kind of wrap up what your experience was like in, in, in Korea. I never saw any USO. Just the Cardinal. But yeah, and he just was going by. I don't know if he stopped where I was or not. But the Marine Corps didn't, didn't want us to fraternize with the Koreans. I never met any. One. Yeah, I don't know if he's a young kid. He looked like a young kid. He might have been older than me, but he used to call him Monkey Son. I don't know if that was his name or not. But other than that, the Marine Corps did not allow uh, Koreans in our, in our territory, in our base, on our base. All right. We had to do it for ourselves. So, uh, Well, looking back 60 years, was was it worth it to go over there? And, and, and oh yeah, oh yeah. I I'm glad I went. I was something like six thousand miles away, and I'm glad I went because when you started the show, you said are you patriotic. I bleed red. I'm so patriotic now. I even Larry was choking a while there. When, when I hear the Star Spangled Banner, <clears throat> I choke, even to this day. Mm -hmm. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me to go over there and see what that country was like. Uh, and as you see it today, they, Louis talked about Germany being built up. Well, South Korea has been built up too. In fact, uh, when... Uh, my niece's husband went over there oh, five, ten years ago, and he was at Camp Casey, the one that, the last place that I was at. It didn't look the same. He took pictures around the territory. There were no rice paddies around, but uh, I have no regrets. Very good. Don, how about you? Uh, I... Uh, <clears throat> I, th I think it was worthwhile, although I, I, I feel bad that uh, to this day it's still not officially over, you know. And uh, uh, I don't know what my colleagues, what the, the other guys here will think about it, but uh, I, I wish they had sort of listened to MacArthur in a way, because uh, I think uh, they uh, misinterpreted what he was trying to do. Uh, uh, the uh, <coughs> The Air Force, I, I know uh, we were very close to an air base, you know, and the, the pilots used to come back and they'd be wild, you know, that they'd, they'd be fighting the MiGs, you know, and they'd cross over into a, the Yellow River there, you know. Yes. So I think all MacArthur wanted to do was to uh, bomb that base there that was crossed, but uh, I guess Truman seen differently, you know, and mm -hmm. so... <laughs> to so this day, it's still unsolved. Yeah. I just want to, I can think, I just say one sure. thing? Sure, I, I came back to Oakland, California on February 14, 1954. And let me tell you, the greatest feeling I ever had was the day I stepped off that ship and touched the United States soil. It was, it, to this day, I think about it, and that was the greatest feeling to have, 
to get back home. I think I think MacArthur wanted to he wanted he wanted to go, he wanted to go right through to Manchuria and that would have just cost us more lives. And I think they did the right thing in stopping him from going any further. The other the other thing is is old saying. Uh, you say, are you glad you went? Uh, well, I'd have given anything not to go over there, but I wouldn't take a million dollars for my experiences in that war. And my, my, uh, the guys that I met, and, and, uh, and I still remember their names. I got a picture of, of the basic training company, and I still remember all those guys' <coughs> names and some of them that didn't make it. But it was quite an experience. Okay. And Lou, you have about 30 seconds. Well, <clears throat> our experience was, of course, we were in the field. We were an infantry <coughs> company, and we were in the field 80% of the time, always on the move, never sleeping in a tent, always under a truck or wherever you could <laughs> find to sleep, uh, because we were moving all the time. And you had to be careful because the tank, the tankers, would be running through there, and they'd run over you if you weren't under a truck. At least we'd have some protection. Was it worth it? Oh, yes, yeah. The occupation of Germany was worth it, and the rebuilding of Germany was well worth it. All right. Thank you very much for joining us.